Thank you for tuning in to the Muni Lot Drunkards. Colin Berenger here with my partner, Zach Mentzels. We get you ready for our new podcast centered around your two favorite Cleveland teams, the Indians and the Browns. A little bit of background on how we're going to operate this is most likely going to be once a week for about 45 to 55 minutes. Nothing too strenuous on your listening time or your listenership. Uh, Mainly, we're going to focus on answering your questions, maybe even doing some mailbag-style segments in the future. We'll post some questions or take questions from you that you have about both of these teams, the leagues they play in, the sports they play in, whatever you really want to do. But for this episode, we're going to dive into why President of Baseball Operations Chris Antonetti is so adamant that they needed to cut payroll going into 2019 for this season in the AL Central. And looking at the current payroll, why couldn't they spend more going into the season? And we'll also take a look at Baker Mayfield and his shot taking at media members. And maybe he should tone it back a little bit. We'll debate that and more, but we'll also dive into the 2019 AL Central race, the over-under totals for all teams involved, and who most likely will challenge the Indians for the division crown this season. In the third segment, we'll do our fantasy draft. We'll draft the top five free agent targets for the Browns this season between Zach and I and debate whose list is better, and we'll prop it up to you guys to vote on that. And then for our final segment, we will dive into the Browns schedule for 2019 and pick out those games that we think are most likely to be wins and those that might not be as so likely. But for that, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you like it, please share it amongst your friends that love Cleveland and either of these teams. But for that, here we go. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Perez, Santana, Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. And Cleveland, for the sixth time ever, you will have a World Series. Colquitt Asimov, you're ready. This is to win it. Snap is back. Ball down. The kick on the way. Line drive. The kick is good. With two seconds left in overtime, the Browns have won it. A line drive that almost had yellow paint on it as it went over the crossbar. 18 strikeouts for Corey Kluber. Blew it right by him. Here we go. Fourth down and 10 at the 50-yard line. In the backfield, Booker will be the running back. On the left hip of Keenum, two receivers right, two left. Lacoste in motion. On fourth down, Keenum waits, takes the snap. He bobbles it, stumbles, he got hit, he got sacked! He got sacked! Peppers! Peppers got him! He got him! Peppers got him! Pour a little pepper on it! The Browns are going to win it! First episode, Colin Berenger, Zach Metzel, the Muni Lot Drunkards. Got to get going in this first segment here. We want to talk about two different sides of this Cleveland sports spectrum right now. First, we'll start with the Indians, and then we'll go into the Browns for the second half of this segment. I want to start off with talking about the payroll situation with the Indians. And Zach, first off, I want to get just on your outlook of the entire team right now. What do you think about the current situation of the payroll in general? Uh, payroll is down this year. Um, I do expect us to still win the worst division in baseball, statistically the AL Central. Uh, we beat the Twins last year by 13 games, and uh, even with our lowered payroll and uh, our noticeably worse team, uh, definitely uh, we can still win the division just because of how bad everything else is, but I think it'll definitely be a little bit tighter than people are expecting. It, it's Incredible to think about, but currently with what we're talking about before arbitration numbers get put into place, the Indians are not even top in the division in terms of payroll. They're currently behind the Detroit Tigers that are trying to downsize in their team. They're they're trying to shop outfielder slash third baseman Nicholas Castellanos, for goodness sakes. I mean, it's like, I I don't really understand what we're going to expect to see the next couple of weeks with regards to how the payroll is going to work. And you always got to consider, like I said, arbitration numbers are going to come into play at some point. So they're currently sitting at, what, 20, 21st in the league in payroll. And you have to think, just because of attrition and guys being signed in this late process of, I mean, we can dive into this in another topic or another podcast, but the conspiracy theories behind why guys are not getting signed until up until or even into spring training. But I just want to figure out in your mind, diving deeper just into the team payroll itself, how uneven it is in terms of the numbers between the positions. 
like right now, currently for the outfielder position, the Indians are 27th in the league in terms of payroll. Their highest paid outfielder is Leonis Martin. Turn that to the flip side, your infield and your pitching staff are both top five in the league in payroll. So they've got they've created this uneven balance, which means wouldn't it have been natural, like everybody was expecting, the Indians to trade Corey Kluber for, let's say, Alex Verdugo, the number 35 prospect in the MLB pipeline system from the Dodgers. Why would why hasn't that happened yet? Well, I think a lot of it, uh, too, is especially we're going to talk about here with our infielders specifically. Uh, even though if even though we have a high payroll, doesn't necessarily translate into uh, production. And I think the uh, the biggest culprit of that would be Jason Kipnis, your favorite guy, your guy. Oh boy, I don't even don't even want to get started on that. But I will just uh, start off with just saying some facts. He is, um, let's see, he will be. Do you know how much he's making uh, next year? I thought it was the highest paid player going into this season. I believe. If memory serves me right, Corey Kluber's number two. I can't remember who's number one. Hmm. I can't remember. I believe you're going to make me look it up. Go ahead and keep on going with your facts while you're at it. Uh, but with uh, Kipnis, he is uh, our highest paid infielder, and that is all for a uh, batting average of 230 and a, uh, a slew of uh, defensive mishaps. I think that was pretty noticeable throughout the year. Uh, whether it was at second base or when we tried to, uh, when Tito tried to throw him into the outfield, uh, Grant he did make some plays because he is a uh, athletic guy, but he had not made the plays that made him an All Star years ago, and uh, I think he's getting his All Star money now, but the, his production has completely decreased and uh, does not warrant the uh, the amount of money that he will be making. I, I, I want to think he's either tied or is a little bit of a head for Corey Kluber for that number one spot. No. Take a guess at who's number one. I just Jason po- Kittness is actually third. And th- these numbers I'm getting are from Spot Track. Very famous for outlining contracts for all kinds of players across all kinds of sports. But Jason Kittness is number three for this year's salary. He's making about $14.5 million. Corey Kluber slated at 17. Who's tied with Corey Kluber for making 17 million in base salary this year? Uh, cheating a little bit. Um, we go with uh, Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana's making 17 million in base salary with a three million dollar bonus, a signing bonus. That is insane. Like, give me. Let me get this straight. I understand that Carlos Santana was very good during his time with the Indians, and he got pretty money greedy, his agent at least, and they went to Philadelphia. He was a pretty good long ball hitter there, but I mean, average was still around like 220, 210 most of the season. He, he struggled early and picked it up later on. And and then you just pick this guy up at the same time you're cutting guys like Edwin Encarnacion, which to start with, I am fully for that. I mean, he right, right. when you can't turn out in two straight postseasons, I understand he was hurt in the one against the, the Yankees, but you can't make excuses for what he did against the, the Astros. You just can't. So I understand cutting ties with him. But it's like you're reinforcing money in the wrong areas. Right. Yeah, no, and actually, uh, I will I will give Kipnis this. He did hit better than Carlos Santana did last year. Santana came in at 229. That's insane. Which, I mean, he, I mean, I play fantasy fo- fantasy baseball, so I'm aware that he, he's making up those numbers for his long balls. He did that very well in Philly, which is not a very hard park to hit long balls in. Right. But it's like... Why aren't you reinforcing that money into the positions that you need? I mean, is Carlos Santana going to play first base every day for you? No. For me, he's playing. He's he's your DH. Right. He's your DH, and Jake Bowers is your first baseman as of now. Right. But reinforce that money into the outfield. I mean, I just saw A.J. Pollock, who's fought injuries for most of his career, but that's a center fielder that could be your everyday guy when healthy. Right. And now he's going to the Dodgers, who have a plethora of outfielders. And now they need to get rid of somebody. So this is a time where Chris Antonetti, dang it, needs to get off his butt and make a trade for Alex Verdugo. I do not want Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson doesn't hit for great average. He's just a power bet. Give me a young guy that's going to start day one because Verdugo is ready to start now. Right. And see, the the trade I wanted the Indians to make coming out of this postseason, and at this point I, I feel safe to say that it will not happen, but I would have been all for a one-for-one trade, Corey Kluber for Mike Trout. You're not going to do that. If you're the Angels, you're not going to do that. 
not you're not going to trade your 28, 29 year old outfielder, cornerstone of the MLB, for a 32 year old pitcher that's on the decline. Let's be honest, he's been very, very good in the regular season, but postseason he does not have it. See, I would I would throw money at it. I would love to make that happen because, in my opinion, Corey- but here's my thing: you would also need to throw prospects into that. And I brought this up with you last night. There is only two prospects. Nolan, Nolan Jones and Tristan McKenzie are the only prospects for the Indians in the top 100 of MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospects. Like, right. who are you going to ship with that? Because you just you shipped off a, uh, can't remember the shortstop, but you shipped him off to uh, Detroit in the trade to get back Leonis Martin. Uh, but that, that's, that beats the point. We've been shipping off prospects in trades that really haven't worked for us in the long run. Right, right. So we've been playing this short game where we've been trying to get guys to compete now. Right. And I, and I honestly, I appreciate that just because the understanding of what our window was. Sure. And I, I think it's safe to say that the window is pretty damn close to being completely shut and the blinds pulled down on it. Now, I want to get us into the direction of the mind of Chris Antonetti, the president of baseball operations, and what he said. He joined, uh, was it Power Alley, a show on MLB radio for Sirius XM. Here's what he had to say about the payroll not being good enough this upcoming season where okay. at the outset of the off season, the path we were on wasn't okay. Um, right. You know, I think just to give you context for us to bring back the team that we finished the season with last year would have cost us upwards of 215, $220 million. So we knew right. we were heading into an off season of change and that we were going to have to repos- reposition the roster. We wanted to try to do that in a really thoughtful and deliberate way where we still gave ourselves a chance to win the Central in 2019 and, again, put ourselves in a better position moving forward. And we feel like as we sit here today, we're in a much better position now than we were at the start of the offseason. So I want to get your opinion on that last part of his quote because it got taken out of context by quite a few people. He said we're in a better spot than we were previously. Now, a lot of people thought that was about the roster, which, I mean, I showed you the list of what the starting at, the batting the lineup would be right now, and you're starting guys like Leonis Martin, Tyler Naquin, Jake Bowers, and this guy, was it Josh Lupo, yep. the left fielder, like who hit 185 in his stint last year with the Pirates and spent most of his time in the minors, which, we, I mean, he was average in the minors. I'll give him that. But he hasn't produced on the level to, to win now. I mean, right. unless if you see something futuristically with Lupo or Lupo, whatever his name is, I don't, even, I don't even care at this point. I, what I know is I don't know if he has much of a future in terms of being a top-tier prospect, and I don't know what he's going to offer to us now, but I just want to reinforce this point to you, and I want to ask you, what does he mean in your eyes by we are better now? Does he mean the team situation as a whole or the Dolan's pocket? See, I think he's definitely looking uh, long term in uh, saving that money because I feel like with the uh, the Dolans, there's definitely a roller coaster where there's more uh, more downs than ups, and the downs are not spending money, just keeping what uh, keeping what money that they have. And then I will give them this: like 2016, they went out and they made some moves when uh, we were competitive. We went out and got Andrew Miller, who was imperative to our run that we made in 2016. So I I will give them that. But uh, I think also, too, more importantly, in Antonetti's quote, he said he said our goal was to not to win the World Series. It was to win the division and go back to the playoffs. Which is crazy. So, and which that, is crazy to think about. You're saying that to your fan base, expecting them to show out, which you've already been known historically to have trouble with attendance ever since this shift of command back in around the late 90s, heading into the 2000s, where we broke that, that streak, that sellout streak. Right. And I mean, you're talking about a fan base. I saw a, a quote to, or a tweet today from some—I I don't want to offend him—some no-name guy. He responded to some reporter asking about why are the fans so on top of this organization right now in this front office of what they're doing. You're looking around down the line of seasons. You know, the couple of years in the '90s where you had 100 wins and 99 wins in the, the regular season, and you choked in the playoffs. Right. You've had multiple series blowns. You blew the ALCS against the Boston Red Sox in 07 right. with Manny Ramirez. You were playing at home. You could close out, and then you're playing an easy game or an easy series against the Rockies. You're yeah. winning the World Series. You're winning that. I, I don't care what you're saying. Up 3-1 to one in that series against the Red Sox. Up 3-1. to one. And that a, was a... one of the worst National League turnouts in postseason history. Yeah. And you failed. You, you, you collapsed. Yep. 
Yeah, no, that, so that those, was it. those experiences are why this fan base is on top of this front office to pull it together. Right. You know, there's no accountability right now. They, they're they they're playing this whole long game of, oh, you know, we'll be in it at the, at the end. You know, we'll cro- coast to that division championship, which I'm telling you right now, the Minnesota Twins are starting to look oh, a yeah. lot better day by day. Yep. That Nelson Cruz signing is yes. going to prove Huge. vital. The guy's hitting 38 to 40 home runs a season, and yep. he's like 38, 39 years old. Yeah. It was hitting 256, too, so it's not just like he's hitting all for power. He 256 is... That would put him, yeah, he would definitely be in the top tier of our uh, starting right. starting lineup right now. No, yeah, he, he would be our go-to. Just, go- just he, based off of average, he'd too. Be our, he'd be our go-to DH every single day, yeah. which no I, I was at the beginning of the season. I'm like, you're in this mode where you're trying to get as much as you can out of this team before the White Sox, which we'll talk about in the next segment, is coming down the line with all these prospects they got coming up. You're trying to do something now. You should be at least, but yeah. instead, no, you're coasting. You know, we'll, we'll get to the divisional round, right? Which and is it, absolute baloney, right? And I, like I said, I touched on this earlier. Like I, I still think that the Indians are going to win the division this year. But if I, had, uh, like I said, they won by 13 games last year, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a heck of a lot closer. It's gonna be between five and ten's my guess. I still think they'll get there, but they better win the division because they're not making it a second place in uh, the AL Central. My goodness. All right. I I can't talk about that anymore. It's going to get me upset. I want to just go quickly to this next talking point for about the few minutes remaining we have in this segment. Uh, Baker Mayfield was taking shots at known longtime Browns analyst. He works with WKNR up in Cleveland, Tony Grossi. Uh, took some shots at Grossi for making comments about, uh, what's his name? Kyler Murray. Yeah. I, why, why did I forget that? Yeah. Kyler Murray. He took some shots at him for saying that Kyler's not, you know, the prototypical NFL quarterback or whatever. And yeah. he basically reinforced that. He said, hey, you said it about me. And you also said you were going to retire if the Browns hired or drafted me first overall. So what's going on? I don't really want to look at it in that sense. I I want to look at it more of, I, we knew this was coming when we drafted Baker Mayfield. Right. This outlandish personality. He uh-huh. is his own brand. I know I talk with this with Bo once a week, you know, hug him, he's yours, he's your guy, but... You know, this personality is what you drafted also. you got to know what's coming with it. Right. My question to you is, how do you feel about it first off? Take your personal vendettas out of it and think, how do you feel about your franchise quarterback out here in the media or out in just public space talking like that and putting a spotlight on, on himself? I'm 100% fine with it. He he has proven that he can handle criticism well. Uh, I mean, you saw, everyone saw the interview with Colin Coward. Sure. Everyone saw it. He every uh, everything Colin had to say to him, he had just fired right back. He had an answer for everything, and he, he's very uh, he's very calculated in his responses, which I think is very important. Like he knows what he's doing. He's not just out here just having. He's not like throwing a temper tantrum or anything like that. Like he knows what he's saying, and uh, I honestly don't think that he he didn't say anything wrong in his uh, reply tweet to because uh, it was Aaron Goldhammer that tweeted what Grossi had said yes. on their uh, radio show. And uh, he just said like, everything that Colin said. He's just like, okay, well, he uh, – because Grossi compared him to Johnny. He's more like Johnny than he is uh, more like Baker. So then that's where Baker is just like, okay, you have no idea what you're talking about. And, like, just comparing – like, going back to Grossi comparing Baker to Johnny, like, before the draft last year, that's just such lazy reporting. Like, if you, if you watched football, you'd have a better understanding of, okay, yeah – Baker and Johnny, Big 12 quarterbacks, uh, smaller stature, run around the pocket, run outside the pocket, and all this and that. But they are two; they couldn't be more different off the field. And I think that's a lot of what the NFL, uh, what the NFL showed, like with Johnny. Johnny could not handle the mental pressure of performing in the NFL. He did not have the strength to compete. He had he had the skill set. We saw that. Uh, he a couple different plays in uh, Johnny's short career with the Browns uh he looks spectacular and then there were other plays who were just like what are you doing I think a lot of that comes down to he just wasn't mentally prepared or you look at Baker Baker is so dedicated to this that's why he, he looks prepared and then if he's not prepared or if the defense throws something at him he will adapt we saw that with the game against the Texans getting completely rocked in the first half come out and he throws what three touchdowns in the second half yeah and he made a game of it so I, I think that Baker Baker is 100%. He is in the right going after Grossi. I'm 100% fine with it because he's, uh, he's proven that he can deal with it. 
And if that's what gets him fired up and that's what uh, gets him going, it's fine with me. I'll keep this short just because we're coming up on the next topic here. But first off, the comparison is lazy. We we knew that, oh. and it was all based off just a couple of instances where they thought it was attitude related. Right. That's that's as as much as it can go. Watching them with your own eyes, they are not the same quarterback. Right. But uh, I would I prefer him not to do it. Of course, I I I think I would rather just my quarterback. You know, just go day by day doing what he, what he does. But I'm not going to get on his behind for doing what he did. Right. With that said, yes, I would prefer him not to do it. I would probably advise, hey, you know, do we do we need that? Do we need that? No. Do we, do we need to cause a rift in the media between you and the connection? No, we probably shouldn't. But at the same time, I appreciate for him being real. That's what we want yeah. in the quarterback. We want him to be real. We want him to be himself. Right. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, that's that's really all I have to say on that. It is the Muni Lot Drunkards. Colin Berenger. Zach Metzel. I want to move into a new topic now. I want to take a look at the outlook of the AL Central. I know we have a lot of talk about this, and I know we have some statistics or some betting lines currently that are sitting there that are going to be constantly moving because of the late signings with the free agency period. But I just want to get a quick outlook, your quick summary of what you see with this league coming up in 2019. I definitely think the uh, the Indians are the, are the favorites to win the division, which I don't think comes as a surprise to anyone. Also, I believe the, uh, the Twins are... Uh, they, they'll probably, if they don't win it, they'll come in second. Again, I don't think that's a whole lot of, uh, I don't think that's a big surprise to anyone due to uh, how they did last year, a couple of the signings that they made uh, this offseason. Uh, next on the list, I have the White Sox coming in third this upcoming year. Uh, they didn't, they have a, a lot of young talent. They didn't really make any uh, any big moves. Uh, they got our uh, good old friend Yonder Alonso on their team, who I just saw a report uh, was campaigning to get Machado on their team. That's That's the X factor in this whole thing. I think in terms, not technically the division, but the alignment and the way the division's going to roll. I right. think it will hinge greatly on how if they can get him because they just lost Tim Beckman. Their current, their their shortstop from last season, he's gone out the door. They need a shortstop badly. They could move Yamokata over there, but he's more of a he's he's a second baseman. That's who he is. But go ahead and continue. I just want to say that's probably one of the biggest parts of how this division could turn out. Right. And I, I, once the Indians finally, their window finally does shut and they begin to decline, uh, then I think that it'll ultimately then come down to the Twins and the White Sox will then be battling it out for division dominance over the next few years after uh, after this upcoming year. Uh, and then next I have uh, Detroit at fourth and Kansas City. Uh, neither of them really did a whole lot this offseason. Colin mentioned it in our first segment, Detroit's cutting payroll. Um, and they they lost 98 games last year. They'll probably lose over 100 this year. Kansas City lost 104 last year. I don't see them getting much better. They got Billy Hamilton, who early in the offseason, I would not have minded the Indians going after just to get some outfield depth. Uh, but, I mean, overall, I don't expect Detroit or Kansas City to really compete this year. I don't think that they expect to compete this year, so I don't think it's any surprise that they'd be the fourth and fifth team in the division. Man, talk about Detroit, man. We, we were talking about for years that this rebuild was coming with how they spent money on guys like David Price, Jordan Zimmerman, Max Scherzer before they traded them. I mean, you knew that this rebuild was going to have to come at some point. Their window closed, and it closed fast, and right. it was abrupt. And, I mean, they're still trying to dig out of it. And that's what I'm afraid with with the Indians. They're on that verge where they're spending just enough money on those Old veterans that have to go here within the next couple of years. Now, your X factor is having Jose Ramirez and Lindor sitting there just on the verge, the, the, your underlying guys. You have to avoid what the Detroit the Detroit Tigers are going through by building around those two quarterstones, your your third baseman and your shortstop. And honestly, you could move Jose to second and make that your, your middle infield could be secure for the next 10, 15, how long they want to play right. if you just pay them and build around them. I right. think that's fine. But that's the way you have to avoid doing what the Tigers are doing right now. Uh-huh. Cuz they're just their payroll they're in the middle of the pack but it seems like they're just lost. Right. And honestly too I I would make a lot of comparisons of the Indians now to uh Kansas City. Uh they won the World Series in 2015 
and here we are three short seasons later, and they are 100-plus losses. And that that's just, I mean, it's a, that's what happens when you're a small mid-market team in Major League Baseball. You you can have your, your window, but then once it shuts, you're done for, it's going to be years before you can recover. You have to rebuild your farm system, and you, you just have to, you have to hit on all your drafts. And there's just a lot of moving parts with it, and it it's unfortunate that there isn't a uh, a hard salary cap in Major League Baseball because it, it makes it so much more difficult for the small and mid market uh, mid market teams because you have uh, you have a couple years span every decade to make a make a shot at winning the World Series. We saw it in the Indians in the '90s. You had made it to the World Series in '95 and '97. In 2007, the Indians more or less were playing the World Series against the Red Sox. Because as we said earlier, the the winner got to the Rockies, so that no competition there. And then uh, 2016 kind of came out of nowhere for the Indians, but now that that window that we had is now uh, on on it's on its way down, about to close, and we once again will not have anything to show for it. I'm I'm just looking at the numbers for the the Tigers right now, just because I I want to know what to avoid. And just from looking at it right off the, just the paper I see right now, I mean, they have over 34% of their payroll tied up in two guys. And two guys, Miguel Cabrera, who I would say has the worst contract in the history of baseball. I would agree. This guy is done. He's 30, I mean, well, yeah, he's going to be 36 this season. And he was already done last year with his injuries. He's been getting paid $30 million for the next seven years. And to, no, I'm sorry. He, he will be a free agent in 2024 when he is 43 years old. He is he's he's locked down. Like he has to retire to save them. And even then, whatever settlement they get out of that is uh, that's a nightmare for the Avilas. I I don't know how they're gonna handle that. And then you have Jordan Zimmerman for one more year, the guy who was just complete bust for a contract. He, he's right. making 25 million this year. So it's it's you can't tie up all your money in the top two guys and have them flop because then I just set you back. If they can get Jose Ramirez and Lindor tied up and they stay how they are, you can you can float. You can at least wade water right. until you get back to the top. Well, I think the, there's a big difference, too, in the fact that, okay, you have, uh, you have Jose and Lindor, who are very young guys, whereas you have Miguel Cabrera, age 36, you said he's on contract until uh, 2024, so that's what another six years. So they're they're going to be paying him well into his early 40s. How I I don't understand when they when they wrote that contract how you can expect someone I don't care how elite they are to expect them to continue that same level of dominance into their 40s. That is very old in sports years. Yeah, it it's ridiculous and it. it it kind of ties into what my prediction with the turnout with the division is. Obviously, I'm picking the Indians to win the division. I still think pitching speaks and pitching will will them to the division regardless of how their batting order works out. Uh, I have them at one. My dark horse is number two. I got the White Sox sitting at two. I think they have what it takes to move up. If those young guys start performing right away, especially some younger guys that weren't so much as involved with the rebuild, the guys like Daniel Palka, the outfielder, who's hitting 25-plus home runs last year out of nowhere. Right. If those guys keep on performing and the young guys step up, I believe they'll take the number two spot. It'll be close between them and the Twins, I feel, in my opinion. Those two will kind of be interchangeable throughout the season. Right. Uh, and then put it however you want with the Royals and the, the Tigers. Uh, I would probably lean towards the Royals being that team in front. But at this point, it, it's like flipping a coin. Uh, I, I also want to get on to this. We had some more conversation from, from Chris Antonetti on MLB Radio, Radio. He was talking about the recent re-signing of Oliver Perez. Yeah, Oliver did such a good job for us in the time that he came up last year. Uh, he really helped stabilize our bullpen at a point in time when you know, we really needed it. And he pitched extraordinarily well for us against both left and right-handed hitters and became a very reliable option for Tito as the season progressed. And we're excited to welcome him back and think he can have a big impact on our on our team again this year. Well, we certainly think that there are opportunities for Oliver to pitch in leverage innings. Exactly what role that will be in will will depend upon you know the group of guys we break camp with and you know how guys are doing at those respective points in time. I think. Um, the way the a bullpen will work, especially a bullpen with the type of options that we have and the number of guys we have to work through, 
um, you know, they'll settle into roles as the season progresses. But I would expect Oliver will pitch some meaningful innings for us. Now, I'm okay with him pitching meaningful innings every so often. But you're depending on a 38-year-old, 39-year-old relief left-handed pitcher to be one of your cornerstones of your bullpen. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be that, Adam Simber, and Brad Hand. Who else are you going to trust in that bullpen right now? Honestly, I, I can't say that I really trust anyone. because Ground ball Dan Otero? I mean, the the lowest ERA of the uh, the three that, other than the three that you just listed, I have as Neil Ramirez. At, who, he, he was good at points, yeah. but you, you can't trust him in all the tough situations. Right. I would either go with Neil Ramirez or Dan Otero as a 1.26 whip, which, again, is the lowest of the bullpen pitchers other than the three that were previously listed. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know what what leverage situations are going to use them in. Because what Tito did, and he, he was a specialist at using guys for what they were best at. And Oliver Perez, it was no joke. He, he was best against lefties. But he did have some struggles against righties. So I don't know how Antonetti's comment here, if he's going to be used in both situations. He was good against righties. Statistically, that wasn't necessarily true. He had, right. a, he had a split between lefties and righties. See, I, I feel like a good comparison for this is the Indians got a big gash on their leg from uh, Andrew Miller not being uh, the Andrew Miller of 2016. And uh, same with Cody Allen, uh, kind of struggling last year, wasn't himself that we had uh, that we had seen and then therefore expected coming into this past year. And then you throw in a guy like Oliver Perez, uh, he has good statistics, but I, I feel like we're just throwing a Band-Aid on a big gash that should probably require stitches and go to the hospital for. It's just it's a bigger issue than Oliver Perez can fill. I like like you said he's he's a good fit and he's a good fix uh, situationally, uh, but overall he he just doesn't have that that dominance. It, it, it's a good solid signing, but it's not a sexy signing at all. It's going to be an overloaded lefty bullpen if you think about it. You're going to have Brad Hand. Uh, you'll have Adam Simber. Most likely at times you'll have Tyler Olson. I mean, that's three guys. You, I mean, teams struggle to get two in their bullpen. I, that's that's interesting to see. But I also think the way that they're going to solve this bullpen situation is they're going to go with in-house. They might move Adam Plucko there, especially with his options starting to run, a, run out, and you can't put him in that five-man rotation. He's just not as good as the other guys in there. Yeah. You're yeah. going to slide him into the bullpen. He'll be one of your long arms. Uh, getting Cody Anderson back. He's an X-Factor. You don't know what you're going to get with him. And then I did notice on their, their 40-man roster, there's – only 39 guys, and there's an open spot. And Danny Salazar sitting on the, the horizon. Do you know what you're going to get in him? Do you know when you're getting him back? Is he throwing yet? We don't know. It's like he's got the yips, and no one wants to say it. I mean, he has not pitched a meaningful inning since, what was that, 2012 wild card? It was. I mean, I know he pitched since Meaningful? The... Yeah. Yeah. About. So, Honestly. So, okay, so we're relying on someone who hasn't pitched in, what, two years now? And he he hasn't pitched a meaningful inning in, it'll be six years. Like To me, that's just too much. And then uh, we just, we keep paying him to not play. Like, I was fine with it for like one year, and then it was two years. And now this is what, going on year three now where we're paying him to not even play? Yep. I, I just don't understand it. Like, at what point are we going to learn to just, Cut the losses, deal with it, and move on. I don't know. That's a great question for Antonetti, who they seem to not, and Chernoff, who seem to not be talking a whole lot about what's going on with this team until they're they're pushed into a corner. Ah, man. But when we come back, we're gonna switch our direction. We're gonna go towards the Browns, and we're gonna do a little bit of a fantasy draft style, picking your top five free agent targets for the Browns heading into 2019. I wanted to make the third segment of every podcast a little bit interesting. Whether we're bringing on our bandwagon sports fan guest, Sal Bundy Reedus, or if we're doing mailbag questions, or if we're doing what we're doing today, which is a fantasy draft style, alternating. You can't take the same person, top five free agents for the Browns. All right. Now, I got to set this up because... I was a little bit extra in trying to set up all this. I got here about two hours before you did, and I thought, what better way to do this whole segment than to get a little bit of extra with it? So I have a little bit something in the pocket. If I can just get it here real quick, uh, it's you're going to laugh at me for it, but 
I want to see if I can let's see if I can figure this out. Okay. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick heads or tails. You, you are to see who's gonna go first. All right. All right. Pick it. Heads. It's tails. So I'm gonna go first. All right. With my first pick. Oh, why? Why not? Let's put a little bit of music underneath it. Let's make it a little bit interesting. Why don't you say? Um. That gets you in the mood, doesn't it? Yeah. It really it does. does. All right. Starting off with my pick, you know, it's... Here's my thing. I want to go more realistic. Obviously, we could all just dream a dream scenario for these guys. But I wanted to be more realistic in terms of what our cat space looks like, which we have quite a bit, so we're right. fine with that. But guys that we know that aren't just going to go back to their teams that they're with. Um, I really went long and hard with my first pick but I and I know we are kind of overfilled at the position but man give me Landon Collins a safety man give me Landon Collins and I, I know uh, we can move Demarius Randall the corner he played that in Green Bay right. and I know that's not ideal but Landon Collins is a first class safety if I can pair that and build my secondary with that I have to he's 25 years old uh, he, it's hitting the free agency market for the first time in his career, and he's going to be pretty expensive. You know, it's not a very deep. Uh, actually, I take that back. It's a pretty deep safety class, so you could probably get him for a discount because you're fighting against guys like Haha Clinton Dix, Tyron Matthew, uh, Earl Thomas when he's coming back from his injury. So you could probably get him at a discount because it's going to be high surplus or maybe a low demand. All right. You can go. It's all right. My pick. For, uh, for this fantasy draft. I'm going uh, staying on the defensive side, but I'm going with uh, Bryce Callahan. Oh, I was going to go there. That's a good one. Uh, Pro Football Focus has him rated as the number seven cornerback, and uh, I think that's uh, very important uh, that we get some depth there. Uh, Denzel Ward, he was amazing at cornerback when he was healthy, but the fact that he got, what, two concussions this season? Yeah, it definitely scares you. You, yeah. uh, you need at least a number two that goes with your number one, and you can move Terrence Mitchell to the the you know, the nickel the nickel quarterback. Right, perfectly yeah. fine. And also too, uh, with uh, Callahan, he's he's 27 years old, so he, he's got that veteran experience that I think is very important. And then, uh, I, like I said, I, f I feel like it just kind of fills a gap. It'll provide some uh, some veteran leadership. And then uh, maybe he can teach uh, Denzel Ward how to tackle with his head up and not, uh, not get concussed. Man, that play he tried to make in that Oof. Bengals game, Oof. that was hard to watch. Yeah. Um, man, that was going to be my number two. So that's, that, that's hard. You know, it, it's really hard. Um, what do you want first? He's huh? not a free agent yet. But he's going to be because the Buccaneers are going to cut him when it seems suitable to them in the next month or so. Give me Gerald McCoy. Stick him in that nose tackle spot, and you put him there with Larry Ogunjobi, and you solidify that front four so you can focus on the linebacker group in the draft if you want. Or if you go with the linebackers with my number three pick, you can then focus on the defensive line in the draft. But I feel like Gerald McCoy, he's a little bit older, and I don't know if he's going to draw as much of a crowd because people are going to be a little bit afraid of that. Maybe you can get him on a discount. But even not, you're a team that can afford to pay that amount of money for a position, you pretty much need to upgrade. Right. So I would go with, when he's available, Gerald McCoy for my number two pick. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to also uh, stay with the D-line here. I would look at Frank Clark uh, from the Seahawks. He hey, he's got some character issues, man, so he fits the whole Dorsey yeah, mantra. It, it fits in. It fits in. Uh, Buddy Boy will get him, uh, get him straightened out, I believe. Although, it, I, I, I will miss uh, Greg Williams on the defensive side of the ball coming up here, though. Uh, statistically, I won't. Statistically, no. no. I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I will miss I, his, I his like attitude, his, yes, his personality right. was perfect for the city, but his coaching, in terms of just the defense in general, had to go. Right. Yeah. Statistically. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. But uh, with Frank Clark, last year he had 14 sacks, four forced fumbles, and 34 solo tackles. I think that's just the solid defensive end that uh, that would it would it would mirror Miles Garrett very well. I can't believe you didn't take this, and I can't believe he fell to my number three. So I'm gonna take him, but he's playing in the Super Bowl next weekend. Give me Trent Brown, tackle for the Patriots. You know he's 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 risen to the occasion. He's done really really well. 
Um, only 26 years old, so he'll still have plenty of years left. Put him on the blind side for Baker, and I will feel a lot better. And I know Greg Robinson did a great job in his fill-in duties, but you're telling me I can get one of the premier offensive tackles in the league and stick him on the blind side of Baker Mayfield for the next six to eight years? Give me it. Sign it in pen. Let's do it now. Uh, my my third pick, I will uh, go with the go back over to offense. Uh, wide wide receiver Cole Beasley from the uh, from the Cowboys. Really, he's he's got some age to him, but again, I think veteran veteran leadership is uh, is a nice thing to have. I uh, averaged over uh, ten yards per catch last year. He had a catch ratio seventy five percent, which I I think it's all right, but um. I think more importantly, it'll it'll make defenses not just lock in on uh, on Jarvis. I, I think uh, we saw that a little bit uh, this past season with uh, with Higgins towards the end of the year. Uh, when you're able to make catches, then you can. Uh, it'll open up Jarvis, and it, it allows uh, allows Jarvis to uh, to get touchdowns and um, just allow allows him to shine. I'll give you this: it's not a very good wide receiver class, considering what this website's telling us Golden Tate's your best option. The 31-year-old slot receiver. So that's telling you right now, you're talking about a Browns team that needs to upgrade at wide receiver. There's no denying that. All right. But I feel like they could do that more in the offseason in the draft than they would in free agency. But you know what? If Cole Beasley came on a team-friendly deal and knew what he was getting into with the slot, I'd be okay with it. My only question is, is it, it's taking Jarvis Landry out of the position I think he excels best at, and that's working in the slot. Right. So you'd have to decide if that's worthwhile, and do you feel Jarvis feels comfortable enough to play on the outside? But I, I don't mind that pick at all. Um, I also I wanted to go defensive line for my next one and go D-end also. You already went with uh, Frank Clark. I'll switch it up a little bit and... Because he plays in a 4-3 style, I think he would fit our system, and that's Ezekiel Ansah. The defensive end out of BYU, he currently plays for, he was on the roster for uh, Detroit. He's 30 years old, though, so he's a little bit up in age. Um, he was the, I believe, he was used on the franchise tag this past season, so he does have one more year for it. Okay. So this one's kind of contingent on if the Lions bring him back on the franchise tag, which I don't think they will, mm-hmm. but I've seen crazier things happen. So if he stays on the market, I want that 4-3 defensive end, pair him in there, and that gives you an option to move Emmanuel Ogba inside if you want. He played that at times this year, but he didn't feel comfortable with it because he wasn't playing it consistently. I think if you get him in there consistent consistently, he'll be fine with it, and you could go with Ansa on the outside. That's my number four. With my number four, I will be taking tackle Jawan James. Uh, he, Ooh, okay. he is a uh, five-year starter for the uh, for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, so again, he, a little bit of veteran experience. He's been around. He's um, since he's been drafted, he's started every game that he's played in. Um, and then also too, I think this is very important uh, and something that we noticed after the regime change midway through the season this year with the Browns. Penalties declined substantially. And. Um, so if you uh, if you look at his penalties, uh, he only last year he only had three penalties. The year before that, he only had four. Uh, I I think it's very important, and nothing bugs me more than when an offensive lineman jumps false start. To me, that's the most frustrating thing because you know the snap count. So you, you just gotta you just gotta get. It. I'm fine with holding if it means that you're protecting the quarterback, and that's what all three of his penalties last year were. He had three holds, which again I'm not don't know the specifics, but. I'm fine with the hold if it means that uh, if Baker Mayfield doesn't take a hit, I, uh, that's fine with me. I'll take the 10 yards and uh, allow him to keep playing. So Jawan James is sitting there at number 26 on that list. I'm going to take the guy underneath him for my number five, my number fifth. Eh, I'm going to take him for my fifth overall pick. CJ Mosley, inside linebacker, plays for the Baltimore Ravens. Notably a good defense, but guys excelled there in his time. The former, I believe, Crimson Tide. Uh, has been a very key staple to that def- defense. He's only 27, so you can still get at least good six to eight years out of him and solidify that inside spot. I'd love to pair him next to Joe Schobert. And I say that, but I also feel like the end of the Jamie Collins era is coming at some point. So what are you doing with that spot? I, I, I was thinking about outside linebacker because I thought you would trade 
Jamie Collins to somebody this offseason and then pick up an outside linebacker. But with CJ Mosley sitting on that list now and he's still available, I, I ha I'd have to take him. And then uh, for, for my last pick, I'm going with uh, something that gave me and probably most Browns fans the biggest headache all season long. That is the uh, kicker position. <laughs> I I don't want to go with some young young kicker. I, I've seen it. I want to go with a nice proven veteran. So that's why I'm going to go with uh, Steven Goskowski. He, now, what is he, what is he currently making? See that that I'm not sure of. But I, how many games were decided last year by three points or less? Uh, off the top of my head, I can already think of three to four. Exactly. Okay. So how much? To me, that that's not a factor. If he's making on average in his current deal that's about to expire, he's making on average. 4.3 million after bonuses. Pay the man. We we have we have salary cap. You do. You if, do. If, for sure. If, if you have the room, pay for it. I mean, okay, just going with last year, he had a 84.4 make percentage. He was perfect from under 40. From 40 to 49, he was 4 of 6. From 50 plus, he was 2 of 5 for a long of 52. And most importantly, he only missed one extra point last year. After the Brown, we saw the Browns miss what seven, eight extra points. Yeah, I mean, to me, that it got to the point last year where I felt better statistically with the Browns going for two than I did with us attempting an extra point. Well, most teams and most coaches do feel that. I mean, if, just go ask Mike Tomlin; he does it all the time with Big Ben. So that's not necessarily out of the norm for most teams, and especially with the. I mean, each year is breaking the record for most PATs missed by the league as a whole just because of the whole extended PAT line uh, but in terms of just the kicking game in general I do agree with you I just don't know if I want to spend on average 4 million a year on a kicker like it, I, I, it, I just it, don't know if I can get there unless if you he, they sign him and he comes and proves me wrong and is to it, pay that type of money I feel like you have to be extraordinary in terms of the other kickers in the league and I, I feel like he's kind of regressed I feel like he's regressed in terms of his talent over the past couple of years, you know, especially in fantasy. He used to be the consistent number one overall kicker. And he's he started, like you said in your stats, he started to struggle from deep. You know, his, his plus 50 range, he was starting to fight a lot of issues with his accuracy. I'm not saying he wouldn't be a worthwhile investment. I'm just saying I'm very nervous if they were to sign him. Yeah, but again, like I said, I, I'm willing to throw money at a problem that will make me not lose my mind or even just question like, oh my God, we scored a touchdown. Okay, that's great. Okay, are we going for two or are we going to try and kick an onside or are we going to try and kick an extra point here? Because if we go for two, then like, okay, I can live with it. If we go for an extra point, I'm holding my breath until I see the ball go through the uprights. Fair enough. I'll take it. All right, that's our draft. Uh, coming up in the next segment, we're going to finish out with an outlook of the Browns 2019 schedule. Final segment of the program. The Meaning Lot Junkards. Colin Berger. Zach Metzl. So I just want to go in depth, game by game, and diagnose what we think we're confident in and what we're not so confident in, looking at the slate we have coming up. We'll go through the home games first. We'll go through the away games second. But I just want to go game by game, pick it, your quick synopsis of how you feel in each of those games. I want to start off with the Ravens game at home. Now, again, we do not know when in the season these games are going to be pl played yet. The schedule has not been released yet. So you can't put into the factor of this is going to be a night game, a Thursday night game, a Sunday night game, Monday night Put that off the table. Go head-to-head -head between these two teams. What are you thinking, Ravens at home? I mean, the the Browns beat them, uh, beat them in 2018, and I, I feel confident that uh, they will also take care of business. They, they started to win back home field advantage, so I, I see uh, no reason to believe that. Honestly, I'm predicting a, uh, a division sweep at home oh, for the Browns. Okay. I, I do not. Like, granted, uh, Lamar Jackson, like he, he looked good. He looked good in Week 17. He was better than I anticipated ever since he became starter and took over for Joe Flacco. But I, I think that the Browns' home field, I think that that's really becoming a really becoming a factor. I think we saw that in 2018. The, the fans are buying into the Browns, and I think that's really uh, affecting outcomes. 
So I, I really think that's going to uh, it's going to help them. So you got them a win versus the Ravens at home. I do too. I think they'll split the series with the Ravens. I think the Ravens are good enough to where they will take the home game. Give me the Browns at home. They'll they'll take this one. I I got a feeling that just the home environment is going to take away from the X factor that is Lamar Jackson. Right. So give me the Browns in that one. The next one is another division divisional game. It's the Bengals at home. I think we can consensus on a consensus. We will say Browns because. What are we getting? Are they getting Andy Dalton, or what? What? What's to expect from this team? We don't even know if they have a head coach lined up yet. It's it's going to be a Brown Browns win big. I mean, we saw it. Uh, well, we, we thought we were going to see it, and then they kind of let them back into it. Well, that, that's because I I left uh, I left to go to the bathroom. So then, <laughs> uh, right. so, yeah. so, so then some things happened while I wasn't watching. So uh, once I came back, they uh, started to take care of business again. So. They uh maybe Hugh might have uh, said something to get the Bengals a little fired up, and now that Hugh's gone, uh, I- I'm not too worried about the Bengals I'm, whatsoever. I'm telling you what, just looking at this home slate, I would not be surprised if they went seven and one. See, I I I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm taking them at six and two, conservatively, but seven and one would not surprise me one bit. Yeah, no, I, I am one percent the same way. I have us at uh, six and two, and if we uh, we surprise uh, either. Uh, I don't know about you. With my two losses, I have the uh, Seahawks and Rams. Uh, on the out front, I'm going to be a little bit untrendy with my pick. I'll say they take the Seahawks game. The Seahawks are not very good on the road. Okay. So give me the Browns in that one. But I believe I'll get to it later on. But I believe yes, I do believe the Rams will be one of those losses. Yeah. As of right now. Uh so we might as well just skip through all of that. So we are we both agree. I at least in my forefront, I think this is this is it. This is the year that the Browns take that game against the Steelers week one and propel the season to where it needs to be. Right. Yeah. At home. Yeah. That the Dolphins, the Dolphins carry you? I, I the, again, no head coach yet. We assume that it's Brian Flores, the defensive coordinator for the Patriots. But we don't even know yet. They don't even have a staff. They don't have... I mean, you just had the Senior Bowl the other day, and you don't even know who's going to be there to represent... Dan Marino was the representative for the Dolphins. Like, that's that's dysfunction at its finest. All right, yeah. Go, I, I'm not scared about that game. The Bills, the Josh Allen running factor... Big hands. Okay. Big hands. Uh, don't, Rock it on. Don't give me that. Okay. His running ability does scare me. I, it did hurt a lot. It's it's surprising. I did not see this when I was watching him in college with Wyoming. I never really saw that part of his game. But, I mean, one thing that did translate is his passing the completion percentage because it was awful. It was below 60 the entire season. And it was what people thought it was. So, if the Browns game plan that correctly, he's not hurting them on the ground. Hence why I believe the Browns will win that game. Uh, I'm sure we can have a consensus on that. Where we get to the Seahawks discrepancy, I want to hear why you think, as of right now, that's your one of your two home losses. See, I just think that um, I don't know. I just, I just have a fear, and I, like I said, I wanted to be. I couldn't get too ahead of myself, and I felt too confident in the Browns sweeping the division at home. And I, like I said earlier, definitely had the Rams as a loss. Um, I mean, I think it'll be competitive, but uh, ultimately, I think it'll be a loss. But just with the uh, with the Seahawks, I just, um, I definitely think that's definitely kind of a coin toss game for me. I can be very easily convinced that the Browns will win, but I mean, you you can't win them all, and I think that's kind of what it comes down to is uh, just. Um, expecting that, okay, you're not going to win them all, some things are going to happen, you're going to lose a few games. So I, I think that's ultimately uh, one of them. I was just like, okay, if, if we went 7-1 and one at home and I was wrong, I'd be 100% happy about that. And I, I, I totally understand all that reasoning, but I just, as of this time and this time of the year and what January was it, we're recording on January the 27th, I just believe that I'm going to follow the trend with how the Seahawks play. and They play worse on the road than they do at home. They play well in front of that crowd. Um, I do agree with you, Rams, right now. Until the Browns defense proves me otherwise, can they stop a franchise running back? Can they Can they stop that guy that's just going to run through defenses for 150 yards and two touchdowns? I, I Show me on the field. Show me at this point. They did pretty well with Joe Mixon, but I don't think he's in that tier yet. Joe Mixon is nowhere near top. Yeah, he's not in that tier to where he can be in those top running backs. Although he did lead 
at least the AFC in rushing this past season. So it's still an accomplishment to what they did against Mixon, but prove me wrong. Right. And then my off-script loss, I'm going to go with the Titans at home. Just because there's a sense, you never really understand the Titans. They lose games they shouldn't, and then they win the games they shouldn't. And uh, Mariota wants to pretend he's a quarterback every so often and plays a good game. Uh, Corey Davis, I think he takes the next step at wide receiver for them. Uh, you're going to get Delaney Walker back at tight end if he recovers fully from his injury with the ACL tear. Uh, or was it an Achilles? I can't remember. Regardless, if he, he, he if he fully recovers and comes back, uh, that's another weapon to add to the mix. Deion Lewis mixed with Derrick Henry, another good combination at running back. That's one of those is just you, you feel like in a season there's a chance that just a random loss happens in a situation you don't really expect it. So that'll be mine in that home slate. So we both have... The good guys going six and two at home, so it'll be interesting to see how we go with how the road looks. So, I'll kind of group this in a pairing right now. Your division divisional matchups. How do you have it going between Ravens, Bengals, and Steelers all on the road? On the road, I uh, I had the Browns losing at Baltimore, uh, same as uh, you, Colin. Uh, with the Bengals, I have a uh, another convincing win, uh, and then uh, a loss at Pittsburgh. As much as I would love to go into Pittsburgh and actually win a game uh, after seeing what we've seen over the last few years, especially week 17, two years ago to go. zero and 16 was one of the, uh, the downer sides of uh, being a Browns fan, but uh, we won't go too much into that. Right. But yeah, no, I, I, I think that uh, go one and two on the road uh, after going three and zero at home. So four and two in the division, win the division uh, with that, I think uh, I'm pretty very happy with that. Uh, I think it's just important uh, to me winning the home division games are more important than the road. Uh, it's nice to go on the road and get a division win, but I'd rather win at home. I uh, get that home field advantage uh, feeling more, get teams thinking that, oh, it's too hard to play and uh, play in front of the dog pound, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I believe they go one and two on the road in the division. Also, I believe that win also happens against the Bengals. It's exactly what you said. I believe you know, the Steelers and the Ravens are still too good to be swept. At least to predict it right now, I would not be surprised if I saw it happen just because I see where the trajectory of this team is going. But as of now, I do agree. It's safer to go with the split between those two teams and taking the, the double against the Bengals. Right, right. And then we'll move into the AFC East games that are on the road. We have the Jets and the Patriots. Uh, with the Jets, I have that as a uh, as a win. Uh, we saw that the uh, and Baker, even though it wasn't his first win, is Baker's first win when he came in Thursday night against the Jets. Uh, he looked a lot better than uh, than Darnold did, and I think that's going to be a big comparison we're going to see for many many years is Baker versus uh, Darnold. Um, I, I think it will. Uh, I think it will be close, but I think the Browns still win by like a touchdown. Uh, less than 10 points, but I, I think the Browns win by a touchdown with that. Uh, yes, it is on the road. Um, but I mean, and also too, I think Greg Williams is going to be a little fired up to be, uh, to be coaching against the Browns. I, I'm sure he's a little disappointed to, uh, to not have gotten an offer from the Browns. So I think he'll have everyone fired up, but overall, I, I still think the Browns get the win in that. Yeah, I do agree. I, Watch out for this game. That might be a Thursday night game or a Monday night game. I, I think they're going to love this matchup, and they're going to eat it up with the Sam Darnold versus Baker Mayfield. Um, another one to watch for that type of scenario is with the Cardinal game, the Cardinals at Arizona. I believe that could also be an, one of those primetime games because of the whole you know Baker Mayfield and Cliff Kingsbury debacle and the right. whole hatred behind behind those two. I think that could also be a headliner. But yes, I do agree. The Jets game, it'll be tricky because the Jets tend to play good defense every so often. They have a pretty good defense with Jamal Adams, mm -hmm. Darren Lee, uh, Phil in the play. Uh, I, I do believe that'll be a closer game than maybe the experts think, but I do also believe they will win that game as of now. And then, to give you my Patriots pick, I, I think they'll give them a game. I really do. Yep. I, I I almost feel like it could go along the script of what that Texans game was this year. Baker could struggle early, getting used and adapted to that environment, and Bill's going to have his number early on because right. he's going—he's such a great game planner. But he'll eventually get in the flow of things. That defense isn't as scary as people want to make out to be. They have a lot right. of young guys that are still, you know, they've done really well this year, but they're still 
you know, they're hit or miss sometimes. They've had games where they've they've slouched. That Kansas City game, they they that secondary started to get torn apart a little bit later in the game. Um, but yeah, I would go within the two AFC East games. I'll go one and one with that, and then we'll move on to the AFC. Was the AFC West. West? So we'll go with the 49ers and the Cardinals. What say you? Uh, I have a win against both the uh, both the Cardinals and the 49ers. Uh, with the uh, with the Cardinals having uh, having Rosen, I'm not that concerned. I think our defense will take care of them. I mean, the the Cardinals finished uh, what they were worse than the uh, in the entire league. So I, I think it'll be a nice uh, nice easy road game for the Browns. Uh, just go on the road, part the Red Sea, get a nice win, and then uh, same way with the 49ers. 49ers were not that great. Granted, Garoppolo was. Uh, was hurt, but I mean they they haven't shown Garoppolo hasn't shown that he can minus the what was it six games he played last year that he looked amazing. Uh, I mean he has not shown the the team as as a whole has not shown that they're uh, capable of being that competitive. I mean they finished four and twelve last year or this past season, so I'm I'm not uh, too concerned about that. And again, I think that'll be a nice uh, nice road game. I'm happy that we have that on the roads, so then that we don't have to go somewhere else and. Somewhere more difficult and play on the road. Yeah, I, I agree with the Cardinals game. I believe they're just not set to win yet. I I, I think they're going to struggle just as much as they did this past year. I think they'll win a little bit more. They might go like 5-11. and 11, But I, I think that's kind of solidified as a win. The 49ers game, though, is my, my loss that I'm going to take on the road here. It's going to be a little bit of out of... Out of mind for a lot of people, but I, I really am impressed with the, what they're going to get back. Jimmy Garoppolo. You also got to remember, they're bringing back Jarek McKinnon, who tore his ACL in preseason last year. He was supposed to be their starting running back and their workhorse for the most part. Right. I think that just shows the depth they have at their skill position. Now, if they get a receiver, if they make the trade for Antonio Brown, then this is really going to heat up. But I might be a little bit early on this take, but this would be my one surprising road loss, and it'd be at the 49ers. Okay. And then we got to finish it up with a game that created quite a memory for a lot of Peppers fans out there against the Broncos. You got to go back out to Mile High. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about back to back years of a non divisional opponent you got to go on the road to twice? Not only that, but a pretty tough environment. Yeah, see, I, I'm not a fan, and I'm not sure exactly how they calculate who gets home and road. If that's uh, down to a uh, mathematical equation to figure that out, uh, but I am. I'm not a fan of going into Denver again. And I, I think, obviously, with it just happening last year, they're gonna they're gonna come out. They're gonna be fired up. Obviously, they were uh, they were hoping for <clears throat> they were hoping for a win against the Browns, and then their fans are gonna be upset. It, it's gonna be a, a great environment there for that game. Um, so I, I have that as the uh, as a loss. Um, it's just it's hard to go into Mile High and uh, and get a win, especially we were lucky to do it last year. And uh, I think it, trying to do that two years in a row, it, it's going to be tough. So I, that's why I have that as a loss for for this year. Um, for me, in my sake, this is why I went a little unconventional with the 49ers game. I do believe we both had them at ten and six, and this is kind of how I had it played out. I believe. I'm not scared of Case Keenum. Like I, I, right. I watched that game. I was not scared of him. Now, if they bring in a different quarterback, it sounds like from a lot of camps that they're really interested in that Drew Locke out of Missouri, which would be interesting, but that almost feels like a Paxton Lynch type of pick for them. You right. know? It, right. It, it, now Paxton Lynch is now a futures contract guy for the Seahawks. That's how far right. fallen off he's gone. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm not very scared by this game in any sense of the meaning other than the environment and maybe they play it like another Thursday night game like they did mm-hmm. or no that was a Saturday night yeah, game Saturday late night. in the season uh, yeah I, I'll i take the win here it might change I might flip flop that with the or the 49ers here at some point but overall I think we're pretty confident in this team right now that we can trust them to put themselves in a position for the playoffs right right, right. I, I think the the biggest thing to uh it, the biggest thing to look at coming into this year, it's not going to be uh, is Baker going to continue to develop. It's how Freddie Kitchens is going to uh, handle being the head coach. Because so I think he he did a great job in his eight games as offensive coordinator. Uh, you look at it against the Texans, Romeo Cornell, the defensive coordinator for the Texans. He uh, he had an answer for everything in the first half, and uh, it showed. But I think it was both uh, Freddie Kitchens' play calling adjustments at halftime, and then uh, Baker's execution in the second half allowed us to uh, make a game of that. 
Uh, so, I, but I, I still think Freddie Kitchens is going to uh, he's going to have a lot to prove, and that's going to uh, determine a lot of uh, a lot of the outcomes of these, uh, especially the early season games. But we don't know which games those are going to affect. So we don't know the schedule, and we won't really know how it's uh, going to affect Kitchens until the season actually gets going. Any final thoughts? Roll Browns. <laughs> Roll Browns, mixing it up. I like it. Um, yes, we thank you for tuning in. If you happen to listen to this entire thing, first off, why are you doing it? Second off, we really appreciate it. We want to grow this as much as possible. Um, we love our Browns. We love our tribe. We hope you do too. And that would be the reason why we would ask you to move this along to people along the line. But outside of that, thank you for listening. And enjoy some Cleveland music. Browns are gonna show you how the game is played.